Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. We are starting a new series this weekend, and I, I know I don't need to remind most of you of this, but can I just say three the three most important words in all of humanity, and they're not I love you, while well, I do love you. The three most important words in all of humanity are he is risen. Are you grateful for that today? I hope so. Because you need to think about where you'd be if he was still in that grave right now. We'd be in some serious trouble and we'd have no hope at all. We're starting this series entitled The Unusual Life, and what we're going to do over the next seven weeks is we're going to uh, walk through the life Jesus died to give you. What does it look like? It's called the abundant life, but what does it look like? And so for six more weeks after this, we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to challenge all of us, all right? Whether this is your first time in church ever, whether this is your first time in church in a long time. Whether you come to church here every couple of weeks, whether you're here every week, I'm going to challenge us all. During this series, so for the next just over 40 days, I'm going to challenge us all to be in church every weekend. Now, why? Is it so I can get on the phone, call all my friends, and tell them how many people we're having after Easter? That's stupid. Here's why. If we're going to talk about the life Jesus died to give us, can you imagine how ungrateful it comes across to him? If my response is, yeah, I'll be there for like two weeks of that series. Yeah, thanks for the abundant life, Jesus. I believe God's going to do something special in this series. And so I'm challenging us all. So I'll say it like this. You don't need to pray about it. Just be like Nike. Just do it. All right? Just be in church as your schedule will allow. I'm going to be in London one of the weeks. I'm going to be in church. I'll be at Holy Trinity Brompton. I'm going to podcast. My best friend will be preaching that weekend, uh, Tim Ross, on being set free from bondages. I'm telling you. This is going to be a spectacular series, and I don't want you to miss it, all right? That's not hype. I'm just telling you. Let's see what God does, okay? All right. Now, the first week of this series, we have to start with salvation because the, the starting line of the life Jesus died to give you just so happens to be the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, You've probably seen us out in the parking lot. We're putting hope is real everywhere. We've been talking about this for weeks leading up to Resurrection Weekend. Hope is real. And, and when you think about it, some of us, we, we put hope in crazy stuff. We, we put hope in, into things that never pan out. And I'm not even sure we understand what hope actually means because we say things like this. I hope I get that raise. I hope I don't get sick. I hope the Cowboys win, and I know you all say that. I've been saying it for the better part of two decades, and my hope is lost every week almost, okay? We put our hope in things, that, and we're, we don't even know what it means. Think about it. When we say, I hope so, what we're actually saying is, well, this is what I desire to happen, but I actually have no confidence it's going to happen, right? But the Bible, when it talks about hope, does not talk about hope like that. Here's what the word hope means in the Bible. The confident expectation of good things to come. Is there a more bankable hope than I hope so? 
Well, you don't have to hope that there is. There is. His name is Jesus, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Preston, it's resurrection weekend. Like, we shouldn't be talking about hope. We should be talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And you want point number one to be he is risen, point number two to be he is risen, point number three to be he is risen, and point number four to be he got up. Listen, we're talking about the same thing, whether you realize it or not, and I'll show it to you in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus remind me and you where real hope is found. So let's read six of the most important verses in the entire Bible that deal with that Sunday morning just a couple of days after Jesus died on the cross and was placed in the tomb. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and here's my favorite part, and sat on it. That's what I'm talking about. The angel moved that stone, sat on it, and just went, what? This is what I do. That's a good start to a Sunday morning. Verse 3, his face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And here's my other favorite part. Just as he said would happen. Here's another way to say that. If Jesus was playing pig, the resurrection was not an accident. He called that shot. He said, I'm going to die, but don't worry. After three days, I'm going to get up again. I will overcome death, hell, and the grave. Mark my words. Okay. I'm going to give you four things in this message very quickly, all right? H-O-P-E, that help remind us where real hope is found and why it's found in Jesus. And each of these points attaches to one of the big of the four human needs we all have while we live on this earth, all right? So think about this. One of the biggest needs we have as humans is the need for acceptance, right? We want to be accepted at our worst, on our ugliest days, when we feel out of control, when we feel a little crazy. We want acceptance no matter what. Okay? Well, this leads to the H in our hope. It's a Greek word. It's the word hamartia. Hamartia. Here's what the word hamartia means in the Greek. Sin. More specifically, it means to miss the mark. Now, you're probably thinking, Preston, how is your hope found in your sin? My hope isn't in my sin. My hope is in what Jesus did about my sin. Now think about this. I'm about to read you a verse, one verse in scripture that many people find very discouraging. I actually find it to be one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible. Listen to this right here. This is incredible. Romans 3 verse 23, if you've never heard it before. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is the foundation of relationship with God. I missed the mark. God looks at me and you and says, hey, newsflash, you missed the mark. 
Now, that might discourage you. That encourages me. Think about it. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who had a high standard for you? And you worked really hard to meet their standard. And then just when you got there, what did they do? They raised it, right? They raised the bar. And you work even harder to meet their standard. And then what did they do? They raised it even higher. And eventually, you just want to take that bar and bash them over the head with it, right? Because it's never good enough for them, right? There's nothing more frustrating in a relationship than to give your all and not be good enough. Here's what God says to us. It's never going to be good enough. Relax. Preston, as an imperfect man, you're never going to be able to reach my perfect standard. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I've come up with a way as a perfect God to be able to relationally accept you completely, no matter how jacked up the stuff you do or have done, Preston. It's through sending his son Jesus to die for my sin. Let me show you how Colossians chapter 1 says it. Verse 22. Yet now God has reconciled you, which means accepted you relationally, brought you back to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is speaking to every believer in Jesus who accepts what Jesus did on the cross that day and believes that God raised him from the dead that Sunday morning. Think about this. There is nobody in your life that can look at you and say they accept you like God says. That when I look at you because of what Jesus did and you accepting what Jesus did on the cross, when I look at you, I don't see a single fault. You know how amazing it would be to be married to a spouse who would finally look at you and go, I don't see any faults. That they see the same thing when they look at you as you see when you look in the mirror? (laughs) I don't see any... Listen, there is no one in your life who accepts you like that. Except God. Complete acceptance. There is hope. There is hope. Because of what Jesus did about my sin and yours, making it possible to relationally spend eternity with the God of the universe. That leads us to the O in hope, which stands for once for all time. Think about the second big need all humans have. We have the need for security, right? We all want to feel that sense of security. We hate uncertainty. We we get anxious. We, We experience anxiety because of uncertainty. God understands this is the way we're wired. He wired us, and he settles this and, and does what he can, and we have to receive it, to do away with the uncertainty by using a phrase once for all time. Now, here's what the word security actually means. It means the state of feeling safe, stable, and free from fear or anxiety. Now, think about this. Once you realize that things are, can be good between you and God relationally, if you accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sin... It starts to seem too good to be true, right? Like when it dawns on you that if you just accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, that God forgives you of all of your sin, it just seems too good to be true, right? And what happens when we enter into an agreement that seems too good to be true? We kind of look over our shoulder, right? We're always kind of afraid the other shoe's gonna drop and it's gonna be taken away. I mean, how many times have you entered into an arrangement with someone? And it seemed too good to be true. And after 
Some time passed. They maybe exited the agreement. Maybe they didn't do what they said they would do. And what seemed too good to be true actually turned out to be too good to be true. God settles that that will never be the case with him and his forgiveness. It's not too good to be true. It's the truth. Once for all time. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, But our high priest, speaking of Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Watch this next part. Then Jesus sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Okay, isn't it interesting that the Bible says when Jesus was finished with the death, burial, and resurrection and then ascended to the Father, he sat down next to the Father. Why did Jesus sit down? Why is Jesus still not working on my sin? Because his perfect sacrifice, only because of his perfect sacrifice, could he say, it is finished forever. Here's what that means. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. And you're hearing this whole thing that God will forgive you. And all you have to do is accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. So let's just say you give your life to Jesus. Make him Lord of your life. Give him control. Put your hope in him. In a couple years from now, you do something really stupid. I mean, the worst thing you've ever done. One might think that you'd have to have an awkward conversation with Jesus. They'd have to go back to him and go, um, hey, uh, buddy, listen, uh, remember how you died for me and I accepted it and because of that, everything was good between me and God, but I screwed up and I've done something that's worse than anything I did before I accepted your death that first time. So, um, hey, if it's, if it's okay with you, like I want things to stay good between me and God, uh, would you mind going back to that cross and dying for me one more time? I just, I just need some fresh blood on this stuff. Okay, God says, no, no, no. You'll never have to do that. Because my son made a perfect sacrifice for your sin once and for all time. You don't have to flinch. You don't have to look over your shoulder. And here's the beauty of that. Look at the evidence, what it looks like once this takes place. Verse 17 of Hebrews 10. Then God says, I will never again. Think about those words. I will never again remember your sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. God promises you will never have to worry about him pulling the rug of forgiveness out from under you. His forgiveness is forever, once and for all time no matter what you do in the days to come. You talk about real acceptance, once and for all time, that gives me hope. Which leads us to the next letter, the P in hope. It stands for purpose, which is personalized. One of the biggest needs that all of us as humans are born with is the need to answer these two questions. Who am I? And what am I here for? These are two, if not the big two, two of the biggest questions all of us as humans 
want answered. And here's what's amazing about God. God doesn't make things complicated for us. He makes things simple. We make him more complicated than he actually is. He answers these two questions in one verse in the Bible. Two of the biggest questions all humans ask, and he answers them in one verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I'm going to personalize this for you. For you are God's masterpiece. God created you anew in Christ Jesus. Speaking to any person who puts their hope in Jesus, believing what he did on the cross that day, that God raised him from the dead, are born again anew in Christ so you can do the things God planned for you long ago. Okay, let's take this first sentence and break it down a little bit. Because this answers the question, who are you? I don't know much about art, okay? I'm not like an art person. I have friends who love art. We can stand together looking at a beautiful painting, and my friend can say deep things about this painting. And I look at it and go, I see a bowl of Cocoa Puffs. That's what I see. Like, how, how could you say that? I'm just telling you what I saw. <laughs> and they have this like deep thing about the artwork. Okay, I'm not that much into art. The most valuable piece of art I have in my house it probably costs less than 150 bucks. And last year, Holly and I were in Israel, and we were in the tunnels beneath the old city shopping, and I, we came across this beautiful painting of a Jewish man covered in a prayer shawl, and, and I told Holly, I have to have this painting. Like, I have to buy this, and that has to be the painting above my prayer chair in my office at the house. It's done. I'm buying this thing. She goes, great, babe. Go for it. So I walk into the, the shop, and I, the owner was behind the counter, and I said, sir, the painting outside, that is amazing. I would love to buy that painting. How much is it? And the owner of the shop said, that piece of art is $5,000. I literally choked out loud, okay? I said, well, yeah, man, it's great, but I mean, it's not like 5K great. How about, like, this would be a stretch for me, but $2,000. I'll give you $2,000. And he didn't flinch. He said, oh, no, sir. That painting is $5,000. And I said, well, what makes that painting so expensive? He said, well, that painting is painted by, and he said the artist's name. And he said, and this man is famous in Israel. And this is one of his special pieces. And I thought he was giving me a line, you know, but he, he would not move off of the $5,000. Here's what I learned that day. The value of art is determined by the name and the talent of the artist, not the quality of the canvas. So let me restate what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says in the first sentence, personalizing it for you. You are God's masterpiece. The God of the universe created you. Think about how amazing that is. He could have just looked at you and said, man, she's no big deal. He's no big deal. I don't have time for this. And just pawned off your creating to some lowly angel. Yeah, she's a no-name. Let's just give her creation to a no-name angel. No, no, no. He didn't do that. He stated how important you were to him by saying, I don't trust anyone else to create you as the masterpiece. I have designed you to be. Do you realize whether you believe in God or not, at the bottom right-hand corner of this piece of art entitled you is the signature of the creator of the universe? 
you weren't made by some chump with no name. You are one of the most valuable pieces of art on the planet. So when you try and answer the question, who am I? Please don't answer it with any other answer than Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Who are you? You are the masterpiece of the creator of the universe. So the second question, though, that kind of deals with identity. Let's talk about purpose. Let's talk about your purpose. What does Ephesians 2, 10 say about your purpose? That when we're born anew, again, in Christ Jesus, then we are able to do the things God planned for us long ago. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. God planned you and your purpose before he ever made you. Why? Because a perfect creator never creates a single thing without a divine purpose. Here's another way to say it. You and your purpose play a role in God's divine plan for humanity. This is big time. God created your purpose before he ever created you. And you and your purpose play a role in God's overall divine plan for reaching humanity. That's a heavy responsibility. Preston, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. that that's, that's too big for me. Well, here's the good news. God never expected you to do it all by yourself. Never. He wants to do it with you. Well, think about this. Jesus, in John 15, he says, hey, Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Apart from me, you can produce no good fruit. Is Jesus issuing an ultimatum? He's not. What he's saying is, hey, this thing called your purpose, why don't you and I get together and do it together? You don't have to do it all by yourself. Now, the Bible goes even further. And some of you are wondering, how in the world is Preston going to connect purpose and identity to the resurrection of Jesus? It's very simple. One verse in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, says the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead, if you're a believer in Jesus, lives in you. It's amazing to celebrate this morning the resurrection of Jesus. You know what's even more amazing? Is that the Bible says the same power that raised him from the dead that morning lives on the inside of every believer in Jesus. That's crazy. But there's a why. Your purpose is so big that it cannot be done without God's power. Think about what a big deal this is. That God made you shows how much you matter to him. That God made your purpose shows how important you are to the rest of us. That leads us to the E in hope. What's the E our hope is found in? Eternal life. I'll go even further than that. Eternal life that is certain. God wants it to be certain. Now, when we... Think about the phrase eternal life. I get a little frustrated at what some people think about. They think of eternal life, salvation in Jesus, as kind of a get out of jail free card. Like a, I don't have to go to hell if I believe in Jesus. It's a get out of jail free card. Well, number one, it's not a free card because Jesus is life. But even bigger than that, if you think that the only motivation behind Jesus dying for you 
and getting up from the dead is to get you out of hell? If you think that's the why behind it all, you're not even scratching the surface of the kind of love Jesus has for you. Think about this. Go back to the day Jesus was hanging on the cross in between two criminals. And I want you to see what these criminals are saying just before Jesus dies. Luke chapter 23, verse 39, records this. It says, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom and watch what Jesus says next. Jesus replied, I assure you. Here's another way to say that. You can bank on what I'm about to say. You can be certain of this. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The criminal isn't saying to Jesus, hey, uh, bro, I can, I, I'm so close, I can feel the flames right now. Can you please get me out of there? I don't want to go there. I mean, I, I, can you get me up there? I, just get me in. I, I mean, I think you could even give me backstage passes, so could you hook it up? That's not what the criminal is saying. And Jesus settles this just to make sure the man understands. He says, this is not about, in essence, getting you out of hell. I assure you of this. I'm not just going to remember you in my kingdom. Today, you will be with me forever. Jesus dying on the cross and overcoming death, hell, and the grave was not just about keeping you out of hell. His love is too big for it just to be minimized by that one goal. He was motivated by spending eternity with you. So he says to the criminal, buddy, you're just not going to be in paradise. You're going to be with me forever. It's not just eternal life we get in on. Our hope is in a love that is eternal. Now, I said it at the beginning of this message. We all put our hope in some crazy stuff. The fact that I keep putting my hope in the Dallas Cowboys is the stupidest thing on planet Earth. And yet I keep doing it like a fool. Others among us, we put our hope in people and they let us down. Others put their hope in possessions. They just don't pan out. They don't fill that void like we hope. Others put their hope in money. And that's lost even more quickly than it's gained. It's believed that Moses is the one who wrote Psalm 39, one of the 10 Psalms that it's believed Moses wrote. I want you to see what he says towards the end of Psalm 39. He says, all our activities and energies are spent for things that pass away. We gather, we hoard, we cling to our things, only to leave them all behind for who knows who. And now, God, I'm left after trying to put my hope in all these other things, in essence. I am left with one conclusion. My only hope is to hope in you alone. I have a friend who happens to be in this service. 
has made millions of dollars in his life, was an unbelievably successful businessman, and all the while one of the most miserable human beings I've ever met. Put his hope in alcohol, put his hope in money, put his hope in a huge house, connections all over the world. He tried putting his hope in everything. And if anybody was gonna find fulfillment and hope and stuff, it was gonna be him. And yet things only got worse until he met Jesus and found what real hope actually is. And a funny thing happened. He went from making millions of dollars to volunteering at a local high school as a football coach, making nothing. Traded in his six-figure car for a sweet little Toyota. And the smile on that man's face every day of his life is bigger than any smile I saw on his best days financially years ago. It's not just that he found his purpose. He found real hope. Our hope is real. And it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on possessions. It's not based on anything not named Jesus. Our hope is real because it has a name. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for every one of us. He went to that grave, spent three days there, overcame hell, death, and the grave while he was there, got up on Sunday morning and said, I'm going to give any of you the power to do this too. You can let go of your old life and embrace a new life in me. And you can be in right standing with God for all eternity. Our hope is real. Don't ever forget, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.